Good morning, everybody. We are continuing a series that we've been, uh, we've been in now for about, I think this is the fifth week, uh, called Wisdom and Power. And so I've had a lot of comments, so thank you guys for, for encouraging me in this message. Uh, I shared in the beginning, and this is kind of a life message for me. It's, uh, uh, it's interesting, over, over the last 30-something years I've been in ministry, one of the biggest observations is how um, there's been this subtle divorce in the modern church between the power of God and the wisdom of God. And you find whole denominations landing on one side or the other. See, uh, a lot of mainline denominations that lean into the wisdom of God, uh, a lot of the Pentecostal and then charismatic ministries leaning into the power of God. And so my challenge was, as I, I read this uh, passage in 1 Corinthians, I've shared this before, uh, that Jesus was both the wisdom and the power of God. And so it's really interesting that there's this dichotomy, and there's a, I believe with all my heart, there's a plan from the enemy that said, if I, could, if I can't do away with Jesus, I'm not going to be able to do that, but if I could do away with one part of him, right, if I could take his wisdom away, or if I could take his power away, then the, the church, the, the, the end game was the church would be less than what Jesus intended, what God intended. And so part of my, my heart is I want to bring that back together again. I want to see the power of God move in wisdom. I want to see the wisdom of God allow for the power of God. So it's not an intellectual game only, but it's also not emotion and encounter only, but it, it's both of those things. And I think, again, as we grow as a people, the body of Christ, the more we walk in wisdom, when we entertain the power of God and what he does and how he does it, uh, I think it's the likelihood of people encountering the God of Scripture, the God who is, is much more, uh, much more available to the world. And so um, uh, it's kind of interesting when you talk about the power of God and you tell stories. Sometimes you tell these stories, and if you say something too, too big, <laughs> you can see this look in people's eyes, and they're like, oh, okay, that, all right, um, he's a little crazy, but okay, you know, I believe you believe that happened, you know, I mean, they're not, they don't say that, <laughs> they don't say that, but there's kind of this look in their eye, um, and, and I, I remember the first time I tried to explain to somebody uh, Cirque du Soleil, anybody ever been to Cirque du Soleil? How many people have never been to one of their performances? Most of you guys? Okay. So, I mean, we've seen them on TV, of course, uh, but Karen and I went uh, on our 25th anniversary, we were in California, we had an opportunity to visit an, an actual event for the Cirque du Soleil in San Francisco, and, uh, and, and I can't begin to tell you, I mean, there was jumping, there, <laughs> there was bouncing, there was swinging, there were costumes, there was comedy, it was, you know, and, and I'm like, and I'm trying to explain this, I remember to somebody, and they're looking at me like, so you went to the circus, big, you know, big whoopty, and I'm like, no, you don't understand, so I'm just like, you, if you'll listen to me, I will tell you, and you will have the same passion and excitement that I will have. And they're just looking at me like, don't get it, man. Dude, they're French. I don't know what to say. They're French. So, uh, you know. And, and so here's the thing. I, the more I would try to explain it, the more I realize the truth is you had to have been there. Right? You ever tell a story where you had to have been there? <laughs> so here's the thing. Um, the challenge with the power of God is the same way. When you try to explain to someone um, a service where you felt the presence of God. Just, I mean, at a bare minimum, it moved beyond some intellectual aspect and it moved into you experienced God, right? And then you try to explain that to somebody and they look at you with that same look in their eyes like, oh, you know, poor Dave. <laughs> I believe you believe that. You know, so it's almost like this pat you on the head kind of thing and you're like, no, you don't understand, this happened. And then uh, moves all the way into this mindset where I've shared some miracles that I've seen 
And then it, it's even worse. Then when I do that, I'm like, no, you listen, this, what, this is what happened. And I would tell this story, and then they would look at me as if, you, you think that happened? You really believe that? There's no way that that happened. Because their, their mindset's just there, not there. So here's the thing. God is the God of encounter. So if you have a God that you have never encountered, you have never encountered the God of the Bible. And I know that's a challenging thought. But that's what Scripture teaches. That's what our experience is. Uh, you know, I shared some, with someone one time, do you believe in the supernatural? And they're like, I do not. I'm like, are you a Christian? They're like, I am. And I'm like, one of those two things aren't true. Because you can't be a Christian unless you believe a man rose from the dead. <laughs> so if you don't believe in the supernatural... You can't be a Christian. It's just not possible. The challenge, though, when we find that great divorce was, it's, uh, well, believe that God did that then. We just don't believe that God does that now. And that's I think, is one of the big challenges. But here's the thing I've noticed. Like, Scripture goes after this in big ways. It's really this really interesting thing about the incarnate God you find in John 1.14. In the NIV, it's so simple. It says, the Word, which is talking about Jesus, the Word, Christ, became flesh, and made his dwelling among us. This beautiful, beautiful picture of Jesus coming to the earth, God becoming man, and, and they experience him. The book of, you know, First John, I mean, sorry, uh, John chapter 1, is just this beautiful picture of we encountered the living God. And they tell that story. And then we read it later if we're not careful. We're like, oh, that's nice for you guys, <laughs> right? And they were like, no, you had to have been there, right? But here's the beautiful thing about God is you can have been there, <laughs> right? So in John 1, 114 in the message, which is a paraphrase, it says it this way. It says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Isn't that beautiful? And so, so the picture then is God wants to move into your neighborhood because he wants to move into you. It, he doesn't have to be an intellectual God alone. He doesn't have to be an idea or principles or rules and regulations. He can be a person that you know and you have encountered. He wants to move into your neighborhood by moving into you. So here's the thing. We need power. We can't just have words. Here's how the Bible puts it. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Paul again says, And my message and my preaching when I came to you were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Why? So that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. So God wants to come not just with words and try to convince you of an argument. The gospel is not just words. It's not just a story for you to believe or not believe. It is that, but it's way more than that. And one way we know this is God does something really interesting, especially, I mean, all throughout the Old Testament, but into the New Testament, He demonstrates Himself so that you can believe Him. People got, God would have to do something crazy for me to believe it. Okay, <laughs> Well, there's one big one where he raised the guy from the dead, right? So, you know, I mean, I actually did that more than once, but let's talk about that one. But just listen to Scripture. This is Mark 16, 20. It says, And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming, confirming something. The, the word they were preaching was confirmed by something. What was it? That's right. Through accompanying signs or power or demonstration. You know what a sign is? A sign is, is you're not there yet, but here's the sign. This is, this is the truth of something that's right there. So you can look at this and you can find your way to this, right? So Luke 9, 6 says, so they went out and traveled. Again, the disciples went out and traveled from the village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing everywhere. So they were 
They were healing, they were proclaiming good news, they were preaching the gospel. Jesus is saying, hey, I've come here, God has come to earth, but it's not just that. They were saying, and to show you that this is true, we're going to heal people. We're going to see God do some miracles, some signs and wonders. He's going to demonstrate his power to prove this message that he's given. And then Acts 4.33, and the apostles were giving testimony with great power. Testimony were the words with great power, and it says, to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and the great grace was on all of them. So this beautiful picture, this message of the gospel of grace, God's goodness and his kindness towards you, that he can rescue you from your sin, was accompanied with something that would prove that he wasn't lying. This is not just a good argument. It's actually the truth. 1 Corinthians 4.16 is really fascinating because you see this out throughout the Bible about patterns in Scripture and, 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 and how we should obey some of these patterns. So this is 1 Corinthians 4.16. It says, Therefore I exhort you, again, this is Paul talking to that church, I exhort you to be, imi- uh, to be imitators of me. So do what I do, say what I say, because that's what he did with Jesus. That's what the disciples did. If you remember, it's what Jesus did with the Father. I hear the Father say it, I say it. I see the Father do it, I do it, Right? I do nothing of my own, is what he says. And we should not do anything of our own as well. Verse 17, For this reason I sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways. We've preached this so many times where Paul's saying, look, you can grow in your character, imitate me, and the assumption is in character. Grow as a person, have better integrity, be more honest, be authentic, all those things. But listen to this. He says, not just what I say, but my ways, what I do, which are in Christ. He's saying this is the pattern that you find yourself in as a believer. He says, just as, I, just as I teach everywhere and in every church, not just to the Corinthians, but everywhere he want, went, he demonstrated this. He, he demonstrated the power of God, not just in testimony, but in the power. So how did he do it? He would come into this place. He said, when I came to you, I decided not to come with, a, with a, a, an argument from wisdom. I came with a demonstration of power. Why? Because at some point, if you're going to believe in God, it has to rest in the power of God, not just a good argument. Because if you got argued into the kingdom, you can get argued out. Right? So it goes on, verse 18. He says, now some of you have become arrogant. You're living something, you're saying something's true, but you're not backing it up. That's what arrogance is, right? He says, as though I weren't coming to you. In other words, I'm, I'll be there in a minute. <laughs> and we're going to talk. And this is what he says to them. Listen, this is powerful. He says, but when I, I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out, not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. Right? He says, so we're going we're gonna to have a conversation, and then we're going to have a demonstration. And let's see who wins. Right? Remember, the, remember Moses comes to, to, uh, to the Egyptian, to the Pharaoh, and um, the, he lays his snake down, right, remember? Demonstrates the power of God, and the priests lay their staff down, and it turns into a snake, and, and then like, oh, ta-da. You know, it's like, we can also do magic. And Moses says, just wait a second, <laughs> right? Anybody remember what happened? His snake eats their snake. So even in their trickery, even in their magic, whatever they want to call it, God says, I am more powerful, let me show you how. Right? So even, and the point is, is you can fake demonstrations. You can fake some stuff. There's a lot of fake stuff out there. We get that. But when God comes in power, even the fake will get eaten up by God, right? So verse 20, this is the kicker. He says, here's why I'm going to come and have this argument, have this demonstration versus an argument. He says, because the kingdom of God 
does not consist in words, but in power. If your God is powerless, He is no God at all. Hear that. If you can't demonstrate the power of God, then He's no God at all. So Paul said, I'm going to expose my opponents, and here's how. Because I'm going to show your ministry, because they had a ministry. He said, I'm going to show that your ministry fails to display the work of the Holy Spirit and the power of God. That's what he said to them. We're going to come, and you're presenting an argument. A lot of that was the ideology, bringing the ideology of the law back into grace and saying, yes, grace is awesome, but you also need to be circumcised. So in other words, there's something you have to do, something you can do to cause God to love you. That's, that's the epitome. And Paul said, that is so insidious that when I come to you, I'm going to have a conversation with you arrogant jerks. And when we do, now, that last part's my part. I'm just translating, right? First day, 101. So, so this is Paul saying, when I come, we're going to see. Because the, the message of grace is so powerful, you cannot get this wrong. Right? The gospel of grace is so powerful. So we also need an experience, not just an explanation. Because I've had that before. So why is this so important? Because in my estimation, every single person in Scripture who had an experience or an encounter with God never questioned God again. See, when, I have, when someone comes to me and says, I don't believe in God, and I'm like, I feel so sorry for you. And they look at, well, you know, you're, you're buying into this religious, you know, the great, what do they call him? My favorite one, uh, one of the, the new atheists said, the sky fairy. You know, your God is a sky fairy. I'm like, just because you can say mean things on the playground doesn't mean that my dad can't beat up your dad. Right? Keep that in mind. So here's the thing. Our natural disposition is that we want a God we can understand. Because here's the thing. God gave you a brain. Well, most of you. I know some of you guys, I'm praying for whether that's going to come true. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was for the guys, none of the, way, well, none of the women, just the guys. But here's the thing. God has given us a mind. And, and he did that because he also has a mind, right? So the fact that we have a mind, we're created in his image, and we can reason. The Bible says, come let us reason together. There's nothing wrong with arguments. Arguments are good things. But I don't know about you, but oftentimes logic doesn't enter into the equation when you're having a conversation about a lie someone is living in, right? I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with fear. And they're like, yeah, but you know, fear is not from the Lord, and so let's have some conversations about who God is versus what you're feeling and experiencing. You're like, yeah, 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 I totally get that. However, <laughs> I'm still in fear. I'm like, I get it, but I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is, <laughs> right? It's like trying to explain the color red to a blind man. He's like, I don't understand. I'm like, I know! You, have, you had to bend there. And it seems mean to say that, right? <laughs> to say like, well, if you never experienced the color red, how are you going to know? You can, Try to explain the color red without seeing the color red. It's very, very difficult. And so there's something about when a person's eyes are opened and they see red for the first time, you don't ever have to explain it to them again because they've encountered it. The same thing is true with God. So here's, I, I made a picture of the God that we want. This is the God that we want. Um, I don't think it showed up. Yeah, there it is. So we, you know, we measure God by our own mind. We're like, if he can fit, I need to understand God. And, and I, I just want you to think that through for a second. If you can understand God, what are the implications of that? <laughs> that he is limited by your own understanding. Now, some of you guys are really smart, and I love that. But you're not that smart, right? And the thing is, you run into problems very quickly and challenges in your life that go way beyond your ability to do something about it. 
no matter how smart you are. It's a thing we, 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 right now, you, you know, you see some of the technology and the advancements that if you took that back 200 years and showed it to someone or go into the Amazon somewhere to a tribe who's never experienced it, and you try to explain that to them, to them it is magic, right? But a lot of that we understand. But there, we're discovering things now, even in science, that nobody understands. It doesn't play by the rules. Quant, they literally call it quantum weirdness. <laughs> they literally do. That's in, in scientific papers because they can't. They're like, light is supposed to act like this, and then it acts differently. And then we're like, that's not, that shouldn't be the case. Right? We don't understand it. Right? Recently, the, the new telescope they put up, some of you guys followed that? There was big talk by all the atheists, we're going to finally be able to see so far back in time, because you know light's traveling at, at speed, and so they can look further back, picking up, we're going to see the beginnings of the universe, and we're going, to, we're going to discover that there is no beginning of the universe, therefore there is no creator of a universe, and so there was big, big talk, and they put the telescope up there, and the first pictures they got back, guess what they discovered? There's a beginning of the universe. Turns out, we, you know, God was there the whole time, you just couldn't see him, or maybe you didn't want to see him, Right? So you can try to explain that, and they're like, no, there's got to be another explanation because the implications of God being God is he's God. And that means at some point I'm going to submit as the creation to the creator or not. And that's my decision in this world, but it's what we get to do. So this is the God we want. Here's the God who is. And, you know, I can't even do the picture justice. But obviously it's like we're so tiny and he's so big. It's really unlimited in that direction. So here's the thing, that we have problems that take a God like this. We have challenges in our life. We run up into things that if, if he's not doing this, if he's not bigger than us, we are in trouble, right? So he's bigger than me. He's bigger than my circumstances. He's bigger than my issues. He's bigger than the devil, it turns out, which is really good. And so it comes back to this beautiful picture that starts in the Old Testament because people run up against this. And then the question that God brings is this. Is there anything too hard for me? Right? And, and we take that question and we don't really listen to it. Because if we really go deep in that question, it forces us to come up with an answer. We can't just arbitrarily ask the question, go, is, it, is there anything too big for God? Well, um, I, I don't know. It seems like it. It's not the question. <laughs> it didn't ask if it seems like it. Is there anything? So let me just read you some scriptures. We know this. Jeremiah 32, 17. Oh, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth. See the picture of, God, you're not like us. You're altogether different. We see that. You are the one who've made the heavens and the earth by your great power. In other words, you have something that's power. There's something innate in you that's bigger than everything else, including the universe that you created. And that's the picture, the Big Bang Theory. I've shared this before. You know, was discovered, the whole theory came about when Hubble, who not the telescope, but the guy the telescope was named after, looked into the universe for the first time in that kind of distance and found that the stars were moving away. They discovered the light was red because that's what happens to light as it gets further away. It, the waves change and it creates a red tint. So they saw red, right, in the light, and they discovered that, that the, the universe had a beginning because all they did is just back that picture up to this singularity, the beginning, the explosion, the big bangs, what we called it, and then named a comedy show after, right? But So this, is, this was so powerful. In the, in the day, Einstein was one of the guys who did not believe that. He wrote into his theory of, of relativity that the universe was constant. But he, listen, made that up. <laughs> 
So follow the science. Unless the scientists start making stuff up and don't tell you about it, right? But that's literally what he did. So much so he didn't, he never said this to anybody until this came out. And then he he it wasn't that he was exposed, he recognized the 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 this the foolishness of this because he could see obviously that it wasn't true. And he changed his theory. And he said later in his life, he said that was the single greatest mistake of my scientific career. He was embarrassed by it, but he still said it. And so here's the thing. Again, God says, I'm bigger than all of this. And so if that's true, then what is he saying? Nothing is too hard for you. Luke 137 in the New Testament. For, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing. Why? Because everything that is came from someone who isn't. See, that's the challenge with the whole point behind the Big Bang is it really forces the conversation because if the Big Bang is true, and it is, and we see this now with this new telescope, then it went back to a singularity, which meant all of reality, all of energy, everything that we know in physical universe came from nothing, <laughs> right? Which was something. And the whole point is God began something that was not like him. So we live in this world that he created, but he is altogether not like that. That's how big he is. And when we begin to wrap our head around it, it changes things. Matthew 19, 26, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. Anybody know the rest of this? <laughs> but with God, all things. Why? Because he's not limited by the thing he created. Now, it doesn't mean that he doesn't play by the rules most of the time, right? We've had conversations about this. God's logic was something God came up. He gave us a mind, and logic is a powerful thing, and it's great to use it. But it is limited because logic runs up against the universe that we live in, the creation that we live in. And there's something that happens on the other side of it that, according to this universe, is illogical, but not for God. What's impossible here is possible for God. So look at this, this scripture. You see this is really interesting, this encounter, this experience, rather than just an explanation. John 9, 17. And the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? This is the New Living Translation. I love it. What's your opinion about the guy who healed you? So they're, they're trying to deal with the fact that he healed the guy, and, and, the, and they're trying to catch him, and they're like, no, he didn't heal. He's like, well, let's have a conversation about this, right? So they call in his parents. <laughs> they question his parents. Was he, has he always been blind? Yes. Everybody knows this guy. It's not like we made this up, right? And so they're trying to catch these guys, and the, and the parents were scared, right? Because they'd already said that anybody who says Jesus is the Messiah, we're going we're gonna to get after you. So it's like, you know. They made the decision about what truth was, and nobody was going to convince them otherwise. So they're having this argument with the blind man, right? So have them, trying to have this theological argument. It goes on. He says, and this is what the guy said. The man replied, I think he must be a prophet, right? So he's, he's not a theologian, but he's like, you know, I know some things about prophets. Um, he goes, um, I think he may be a prophet. And this is what he said. I don't know whether he's a sinner, because they're trying to say he's a sinner, right? I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind, and now I'm not. They're wanting to have an explanation. He's like, I hear you. <laughs> totally hear what you're saying, and I see you. I can see what you're saying. I was blind, and now I can see. Right? So here's the thing. I believe 
The Word of God. I, I love the Word of God. I, I study the Word of God all the time. It's, it's the logos. Jesus is the Word. John chapter 1 talks about that. He's the Word, and the Word became God, and He dwelt among us. He moved into our neighborhood. I, I love the Word of God, and it's a beautiful guardrail, if you will, on both sides to keep us from legalism or licentiousness. We can go off in two different directions. It helps bring understanding about who God is and the nature of who He is. And it's awesome, and I love it, but it's not Him. <laughs> In the sense that we read the book and we think that it's what he said to the Pharisees. Jesus had this argument with them. He said, you read Scripture, which is the Old Covenant, Old Testament, and you look for God in there and you don't find Him because He's standing right in front of you and you won't admit it. You will not let me be who I am because the argument in your head is so strong. The wisdom of men is taken over so strongly and, it, and, your, and your desire to be right is so strong that you're unwilling to admit that you just might be wrong about this. So I have this letter from Karen. I got it in my sock drawer. I don't know why I keep it in my sock drawer. It's because it's the tallest drawer, so I take it out every once in a while. And I see it um, in about every two weeks when I change socks. I'm just kidding. <laughs> some, some of you guys are going, that sounds right. <laughs> so, so every once in a while, I'll pick it up. And, and it's in a little, uh, uh, little uh, Ziploc baggie or whatever, tiny one. And I smell it. Because this was in Desert Storm. She sent me a letter because, you know, back then we didn't have the Internet. We had to write things on rocks and carry it with donkeys to people. So <laughs> she wrote me a letter, and she put her perfume on it. And, uh, and I can still smell that. That's 1991 is when I left, the, you know, the Saudi Arabian desert. Um, long, long time ago. And I'll read it, and I'll... Oh, her aroma, <laughs> right? It's like, oh, it, was even, it was way more powerful when I'd been away from her for a long time, right? And, and, and the letter was amazing. The smell was amazing. But it wasn't her. It was a letter from her. It was all about her. It, it, it reminded me so many, of the, so many things about who she was, but it wasn't her. And there was a longing when I read that and, and had the aroma, had some sense of who she was, right, to me, who she'd been, of course, but at some point, I get to go back and be with her. And, and it, thankfully, I can have that for all eternity, right? But no matter how powerful the letter is, no matter how powerful the argument is, it is not God. So the argument, the letter, will bring you to an understanding. Wrap your mind around it. But until you have an encounter with God, you don't know Him. You just know about Him. And there's so many people, I believe, who know way more about God than actually know Him. But if you ever encounter Him, no argument will ever take that away from you. Lastly, we need presence, not just practice. And this is a simple one. There's a proof that you have encountered God, right? And one of those proofs is simply this. Um, Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost. He's kind of taken a leadership role. The presence of God had moved in in such a powerful way. They'd been with Jesus. Jesus said, I have to go away so the Spirit of God can come. So he said before it was localized in him as a person. Now he goes away. He comes and he lives inside of all of us as believers. And his presence is in us, among us, through us, out of us. He, he's operating. He even literally said, the things that I did, the things that I've done, you will do greater things than me. Why? Because one, I'm going to be with you and all the things that I've done, you're going to do it and 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 millions of people are going to walk in this. And the power of God is going to spread like crazy. So Peter stands up and he quotes the Old Testament in Acts 2, 28, and this is what he says. He said, you have made known to me 
the paths of life, you will fill me with joy in your presence. So he's painting a picture because he's trying to explain what is happening in front of them. They're hearing people shout God's praises in their own languages because everybody had come to Jerusalem to celebrate, right? And the power of God comes. The, they, these people are drunk. He said, this is not what you think. You think they're drunk because it looks like they're a little bit inebriated. They're wandering around. They're shouting. They're doing things that seems to be outside of the norm, right? But he says, I want to explain to you what's going on. And he uses Scripture, and he tells them. He says, here's one way you can know. When God begins to move and you have an encounter with him, he's not a tyrant God that wants to destroy you. He's a God who loves you. And we talk about this all the time in the gospel. He cares about you. He wants to be with you. He could have said, he could have taken that moment at the cross and said, you know what? You guys aren't worth it. I know I should go to the cross. I know, it's, I, I, I know this is the plan. But, but you're just not, I'm just going to start all over again. I'm going to kill you all and make new ones. <laughs> right? <laughs> and he didn't. Why? Because he loves you. And that's hard to understand, but it's the God of love who comes and says, I want you not to just know about me. I want to be with you, and I want you to experience my goodness, my kindness, my love for you. And what it produces in you when you've had an encounter with God is joy. And joy is not the same thing as happiness. We all know this. When, when you leave here this morning, part of what I want you to know is that you have experienced a real God who is full of joy, and He fills you with joy. You walk into all the problems and the situations and everything that comes about you and something about having had an encounter with a God that's bigger than you says, these circumstances, though they be great, though, though the argument for them is sound, an argument never trumps an experience or an encounter, right? And so the God who is is going to come and break through. So here's the question. Is there a role that you play in these encounters with God? Is it just, is this, this is what I thought in the beginning. It's just random. You read in the scripture and it seems to be just random. You look at it and go, you know what? God moved with Moses. He moved with some of these disciples. It must be just special people that he operates in. And then I read about Peter and I was greatly encouraged because <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I, I'm rough around the edges, but read about Peter, like, right? And, and Peter, it, Peter, something God did in Peter who was arguably for us, right? To say that God doesn't need special people to move inside them. What does he need? He needs just a few things, and I just want to give you that. You can see this in the picture in Hosea. This is Hosea 10, 12. He said, sow for yourselves righteousness, reap the fruit of unfailing love, and break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes. See, that's the role that we play. Part of him coming to you is you're going to have to make some decisions about your, your heart attitude. If you're angry with God, whether you know it or not, if you had a father who did not represent your heavenly father, you're going to have a big problem with understanding who he is and, and being okay with him moving in your life. So he says, break up you. Not I will come do it. You must break up your fallow ground, your unplowed ground, so that the seed, when it comes, can take root inside of you. So here's the prescription. Seek the Lord until He comes. So three simple things, and then we're going to take a minute. We're actually going to have the worship team come up in just a minute. I'll, I'll let them know when. And we're just going to take a minute. I'm going to let you out. I promise. I'm going to finish early so we can have a moment. Or the, the, this, just a worship song. 
we're going to create an opportunity this morning. We've already done it with our worship previously. We do it every week. But for some of you, now that I've talked about this, there's going to be a moment for you to say, I actually want this. I want more of God. I'm not satisfied with where I am. I'm not satisfied in the relationship I have with Him. There's some things that are confusing. There's some arguments in my head that seem to be pervasive. And I I need an encounter with the living God to to get me past some of this stuff. So what what are are the ways that you can do this? The first thing is simple. Be desperate. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Why? He said, because if you hunger and thirst, you get filled. Right? So so there has to be something on your side of things to say, God, I, I want more. I'm hungry. Have you ever been, I've done this many, many times, um, I went and ate somewhere one time. Uh, I had been fasting for a, a day or so, and I, and I went and ate, and I enjoyed such a good meal. It wasn't great, but, you know, when you haven't eaten for a while, it's really good, whatever you eat. And then right after that, somebody called me up and said, hey, man, I got steaks on the grill. You want to come over? And all of my logic and every argument in my head said, yeah, I'm going to come over there and throw up because I'm going to eat that steak. <laughs> Because it's going to taste so good. But I couldn't get past the fact that I wasn't hungry. So it doesn't matter how good the offer was. If I'm not hungry, I'm not into it. Don't want it. Right? Second thing is have humility. The one thing that keeps people from encountering God more than anything else is pride. One reason why is that's kind of the the big sin of, of the devil. Right In his pride, he said, I will set my throne above the throne of God. I will not, under any circumstances, submit to God. That blows my mind because I have done that. I've submitted to God. It blows my mind that someone or something could see God because he was in heaven. Think about this. He was in heaven. We don't know how long. Time doesn't make a whole lot of sense in that realm. We don't know how long, but he was in the presence of God, and something happened inside of him that said, I don't want him ruling over me. And then he comes to the earth. God makes mankind. And he comes to the earth. And the same thought that was in his head, he presented to the, to the people of God. Did God really say? Is God really good? Can you really trust him? Because he's really, really powerful. And what he's trying to do is keep you from being as powerful as him. Because he doesn't want you to overthrow him. That's what, he was, that's what the devil was trying to do. But what if God the great king wants sons and daughters to walk in the same power that he has? What if that's the case, right? So humility begins to play a very, very big picture. So simple story. This is a story of David in Old Testament. Uh, 2 Samuel, you can find it in chapter 6. David had overseen the Ark of the Covenant coming back into Jerusalem. This was the presence, the manifest presence of God coming into the city. It was a big stinking deal. And Dave got so excited about it, he started dancing until his kingly attire was no longer available. Um, some versions say he was naked. Some versions say he was in, a, you know, in the Middle Eastern diaper thing. <laughs> he girded up his loins. He's, you know, he's in his, his tidy whities That's the best way I can explain it, right? One of those, whatever it was, his wife saw it. His wife was the daughter of King Saul. She was used to royalty. She was used to dignity. And she saw David, who was a shepherd who became a king, begin to dance and lose his dignity. And she was angry. She was literally, the Old Testament, she was disgusted with him. 
And she brought it out. And she, she, she pushed on David's buttons and said, you know, can, how undignified can you be? And listen, this is kind of what he says, okay? This is what he responded, these words. <laughs> it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father. That got real personal real fast, didn't it, right? So he pointed out her problem, right? Your pride and, and your desire to be the king's daughter. He said, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. That's the old Hebrew version of up yours. <laughs> right? Thankfully, he explained what he meant by that. What's he saying? He's saying... The problem is, you think your dignity is actual dignity. He says, before the Lord, your dignity is an offense. Here's what some of us have done. This is why humility is so powerful, why pride is so dangerous. Some of us have drawn a line in the sand and said, God, I'm all about you, but I'm not going to do that. I remember a lady said this to me one time. In our church service, we'd had some people had the encounters with God and they fell out in the spirit, right? So is some of that faked? Yeah. As a matter of fact, we had a teenager one time. We were praying for some kids in a youth ministry and um, some of the kids were having encounters with God and they were just collapsing on the floor, prostrate, worshiping, crying, having an incredible moment with the Lord, right? And so I prayed for him and he fell down and then later on he would come up to me and he's rubbing his back of his head and he said, man, that hurt. Why'd you do that to me? I said, what are you talking about? He goes, when I fell down, he goes, it hurt. I said, why did you fall down? <laughs> These other guys did not fall down. God allowed them or took them or whatever and fell down. I watched my wife fall one time, and when she fell, she hit, some of you guys don't know what this is, but the transparency. Remember somebody had the gift of transparency? They put the words up, and it'd be upside down or backwards. And you're like, what? why are we singing Russian worship songs, right? She fell, and she hit, her head hit the corner of that on the way down and slammed in the ground, and I went, oh, <laughs> she's going to have a hole in her head, and I was deeply concerned, and she lay there, not moving. I'm like, she's dead. <laughs> I remember this, and she got up, and I said, hey, how's your head? She was like, what are you talking about? Never felt a thing. Here's the thing, and when God does something like that, and he, you have to be willing to humble yourself, but you can't fake it and get away with it. That only lasts so long. And David's saying, look, whatever you think dignity is, that you just draw the line in the sand and say, I will not celebrate before the Lord like that. I will not allow God to do that. I won't speak in tongues. I'm never going to fall down. I'm never going to have an outburst. I'm never going to weep. I'm never going to have a demonstration in front of people of a huge emotion. I will, I will do anything, Lord, but I will not do that. And let me just say to you that whatever that limit is for you, it's a real limit. And you won't encounter God more than you're willing. Now, am I saying it's okay for all the weirdness that's not from God? No. It's part of why eldership exists, part of why we have wise people who read the Scriptures and recognize these things. You can do it wrong. So he wrote to the Corinthians, you're doing it wrong, right? So there's a right way to move in the power of God. That's why we talk about doing it with the wisdom of God. Don't get away with that. But you have to humble yourself. And lastly, you got to repent. you got to. If you don't see your sin accurately, and so if you've never been a Christian, if you've never become a believer, 
Your sin separates you from God. And the Bible says that He loves you so much that He came and paid the price for that sin so that He could take the sin away from you. How does that work? The price has already been paid. The issue of your sin has already been dealt with. There, you, don't have to, you don't have to worry about your sin. Your sin is not so big that God hasn't taken it away already. But here's the thing. There's something you must do. And it's not difficult. All you have to do is believe. That's what Jesus said. When we preach the gospel, those who believe will be saved. Those who refuse to believe will be damned. What's the issue? God's not willing that any should perish, that everybody comes into his presence and knows who he is, but you cannot come your way. That worked for Frank Sinatra and Elvis. Well, actually, it didn't, it turns out, but they sang that song. I did it my way. Go read their life, their life history. Not a pretty picture. You cannot do it your way. You have to come to the Lord His way. What about if you're a Christian and you're a, you've got sin in your life? Um, it gets in the way. Not of God's love for you. Not uh, even for Him moving in your life in many ways in spite of you. But here's the thing. There is so much more of God that's available to you. And part of that is you've got, you've got to get rid of your pride. You've got to become desperate and be hungry for the things of God. That's why Corinthians says eagerly desire the gifts, eagerly desire God to move among us. You've got to do that. If you're unwilling to do that, you're not going to see a breakthrough in your life. So God's not expecting you to be perfect, but He is expecting you to be broken. If I can have the team come up, we're just going to take, like I said, we're just going to take a song and finish out today and just give some time. Um, and also to the team, as you guys are coming up, if you begin to have an encounter with God and you can't play, that's totally okay too. We'll do without whichever part of the team. <laughs> um, so I don't want you guys to miss out either. But here's the thing. We're just going to take a moment. And part of this is we want to create space and create an environment. The truth is we do this every single week. Um, we have a, an eldership team, and there are always elders overseeing the service. And our design in that service is to, is to help administrate what the Lord is doing among His people. We've got a plan, we've got a default setting, but it's always subject to, if God wants to interrupt that plan, we're totally happy with that. Because here's what I know. One encounter with God is better than a million sermons, a million worship songs, a million messages or arguments about who He is and what He's done and all those things. Those are wonderful things. And if you've encountered God before, they become love letters with an aroma that draws your mind back to that. That's what this communion is about this morning. Remember me. Remember what I've done. If you never believed in what he did in the first place, all this is is liturgy. It's just going through the motions and it means nothing. It's not going to make a difference in your life. But one encounter with God changes everything. So we're just going to take a moment. We're just going to take some time. I've asked the leaders in our church, hey, as we're worshiping, if you have a gift, because remember that's what Paul said, there's, these gifts are available Oftentimes, God will move in us towards someone else to bring about a supernatural encounter. Millions of times, well, maybe not millions, a lot of times, I've had God send someone to me and say, hey, Dave, I was praying for you, and I felt like God said this. And it was so spot on that there was no doubt in my mind that God was, was speaking to me. And as I opened my heart up, I heard about Him and His nature and His character but there was a demonstration of His power that showed me that I could encounter a living God. 
And this morning, that's what I want for you. So we're just going to worship and uh, give opportunity for that. And if a leader approaches you and say, hey, I want to, could I pray for you? Could I share a scripture with you? Be open to what the Lord wants to do. Maybe you've never lifted your hands in worship. Maybe start there. Maybe you've never allowed emotion to come up. Maybe you said, I'm, I won't be undignified. And God's saying, you know what? It's okay. My version of dignity may not be your version. So submit to that. So Jesus, we just lay ourselves before you, God. We submit our heart. Lord, more importantly, we submit our mind to you. So God, you're bigger than anything, any problem, situation, scenario, bigger than sickness that's trying to grip my body, Lord, fear that's trying to grip my soul. Lord, you're so much bigger than that. Jesus, come by your mighty power. Come by your spirit, Lord, among us. Move among us. Lord, and demonstrate yourself in power and by your spirit. In Jesus' name.